0: Geekly. This week we return to Monkey Island. We talk about the never-ending story and
1: five geek things we like. And now your host, Mike and Deglio. What is up team? Welcome to K&M Geekly. It's a weekly look at two pals talking about the things they've been geeking out on this week. Keith, here we are again. Uh, episode 3. I'm so excited to have you join me. You know, the past few episodes, we've We've had a lot of feels in, let's say, the negative department. So this week we're focusing on things we like, Keith, which which mm. do exist. Uh, how are you doing this week, buddy? I'm doing great. Yeah, I mean, I actually
0: uh, like liking things, and I know that that makes us sort of rare on the internet. Uh, the internet is is it, it used to be for porn, but now it's for like rabidly disliking things mm-hmm. but uh I, you know what i used to do that in my 20s but i think uh, as i've gotten older it's just not nearly as much fun as liking things so um yes we will i certainly have things that i don't like and i have rage tweeted this week uh but we're not going to talk about that today wait we're you, you about got on stuff. twitter this week I got on Twitter. I here's the thing about about my my social media presence. A I try not to have one especially mm-hmm. as a, a person um because I I just I well especially I now, right? That that especially was fun. now with
1: with if 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 what I'm hearing is actually happening uh pretty soon we will have a new overlord on Twitter and he will fire everyone. is what I read.
0: Yes. Yes. With any luck. So, or with not with the opposite of whatever that is, you know, words talking it's, it's early in the morning. Uh, so I, I only update my Instagram for my cat. I only, I'm on Facebook for, you know, this KM stuff. Uh, but on Twitter, I actually logged on. I have no followers. I don't ever say anything, but I have been rage tweeting the NHL about their, uh, digital board, board ads, which are ruining the game, but we're going to do a segment on that maybe next week. Not this week, because this week we like stuff.
1: We do. Keith, before we get into the meat and potatoes of things, I I want to say this on air live. Okay. Keith, I want you to keep your eyes peeled out the door for the Amazon man today. Oh? Oh, I was about to say there was a trap. I, uh, I, uh, I I got in my feels and I might have sent you a little present. Is it a present to uh, to mute my uh, desk when I hit it? No, I think it's, I think you'll be much more pleased with what it is. I don't want to spoil it though. Maybe oh, it'll come I'm during so the show excited. if we're, if, if, any, if there's any luck in the world.
0: Maybe it will. I mean, I can see the front stoop if I look up okay. from the basement here. So, all right. Oh, I'm excited now.
1: Toys. Right. Well, what? Uh, anything you've been uh, obsessively uh, researching or doing this week before we jump into the show proper?
0: Well, I mean, all the things that we're about to talk about. But uh, actually, another segment that I want to do. Um, at some point, uh, in my, my real life, I write musicals and I write a lot of music and record a lot of music. And I have been, uh, geeking out on uh, virtual instruments, VSTs and the new, I, I have the whole contact VST suite that I paid a gazillion dollars for. And so I have been arranging, uh, songs for my new musical and it's so exciting and it's exhilarating to be able to do stuff so fast. You notate it, you put it into the computer. Boom, it's fully orchestrated and it sounds pretty good. So we'll talk about that later. But that's what I was doing this morning, rewriting lyrics.
1: No, that's really cool. I've been obsessively cleaning and my my wife is out of town for for a while. And so I have this whole place to myself. And so to keep my mind off being sad and having feelings, I have been doing what I think a lot of maybe OCD techies out there have will, will, will appreciate. I have been doing chord management, Keith. I've been crawling <laughs> under desks, under beds, behind cabinets and just obsessively twisty tying, routing cords mm-hmm. and cabling so that everything appears wireless when in reality there are thousands of wires running throughout this joint. So uh that's I, what I've I I
0: completely to. understand both from the standpoint of somebody who does like to do some cable management and lord knows if you could see what I can see right now you'd be like you suck at it. Uh but I also understanding Mike's brain, mm mm-hmm. mhm. And the fact that he uh, he deletes his important files off of his computer to make sure that there's enough space for his important files. Well, ready for Uh, this?
1: Mike outfitted his apartment, his small small apartment, with gigabit Wi-Fi six, which is faster than any human being needs, and yet I'm still running Ethernet cables to everything. So what's the point of the Wi-Fi? Just in case. What's the what's the point of any
0: of it? Really? I mean, you're right. Yeah, I'm I'm running two routers in the tiny house. There's no reason for that. Oh, I but, love uh,
1: I love I love our friendship. So, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen, you know, Keith talked last week about how he was chasing the feeling that being afraid watching horror movies as a kid gave him, mm-hmm. and in many of our podcasts, and I'm sure as you get older, many of you have feel felt you're chasing feelings from growing up and maybe it's because you Mm. you were blessed enough like we were to have a really innocent and lovely childhood uh well at least the experience seemed that way at the time i mean we're not going to (laughs) go deep into our therapy here but there was there was a warmth of before life gave you a bunch of responsibilities and so you know i think back and it's weird things that trigger that that now hold on let me let me clarify one other thing. There are two distinct types of nostalgia feelings I have, generally. There's one that is what I just said. It's very warm and, and comforting and reminds me of a simpler time, and it gives me, it, it fills me with joy. Now, smells can bring me there. Ideas mm-hmm. can bring me there. Memories. YouTube videos. I'm loving YouTube because you can revisit old commercials and TV shows yeah. and things like that. There's the other side of nostalgia that is has, for me, at least a bittersweet connotation. That it reminds me of times that have passed and people and mm. things that are gone and there's a feeling of loss and, and it's a bittersweetness. It's not sadness per se, but it's a bittersweetness. This week we're focusing on some things that are the former that bring us that warmth. Uh, and so I'm so we've been tr- we've been teasing this since the beginning. This was kind of one of the main things we wanted to talk about on this on this pod. And I'm I'm glad we can finally get there this week. So we're gonna jump into. Uh, what we're calling right now, I guess, Retro Talk. Yeah. And we're going to talk about some things uh, it, that bring us that, that feeling. And it's not often we can revisit it. You know, what's funny is that there nostalgia is huge right now as far in commercially, meaning uh, TV shows are rebooting, uh, toy lines are refreshing. People are trying to monetize that feeling of nostalgia. Mm-hmm. For better or for worse, that's that's a conversation that we could really. I get. mean, to be fair, that's also what we're trying to do, right? This very yeah, minute, so. absolutely, hundred uh, percent. so the real the feeling I'm having this week. First, I want to talk about is I, I we haven't been able to talk too much about it on our other channels, and it's that I've always been a huge video gamer. Ever since my dad bought our first, well, we had an Atari, and then we had a an Intellivision. Hmm. Uh, and then my dad bought us a Nintendo, and that's when things blew up. Now uh, my mom swore that we weren't allowed to have a Nintendo, Keith. We were not allowed to have a Nintendo. But my dad bought us a secret Nintendo that my brother and I, for a good <laughs> three to four months, were able to hide. We'd wait till my mom went to bed, and we would sneak up into my bedroom, and have, we'd have to take it out you of the closet and look it up. Nintendo. We did to the point where. My dad, I'll never forget. In a great marriage and and in a great learning lesson about communication, mm-hmm. he was like, "Don't you ever let your mother find out about this."
0: <laughs> what was he
1: thinking? He wasn't. At what point did he think that that was possible? It was not possible because we were we were screaming, and my mom finally caught it, and she didn't talk to us legitimately for almost two weeks. It was like a two weeks silent treatment. It was very 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 damaging, actually. Oh yeah, for sure. well, I mean, what was her reasoning behind?
0: Like, the Atari's fine, the Intellivision is fine, but I draw my line at Nintendo? Well, I
1: think that if you were to go back to a lot of the mainstream sort of uh, news at the time, uh, video games were going to melt your brain, and they were going to uh, rot, you, rot your innocence and teach you nothing but violence. And, and uh, you know, I did get pretty close with the, the Zapper on Duck Hunt, so maybe there was some truth to it, but... <laughs> I found throughout my life. Well, we can get into the nitty gritty of our first consoles and whatnot, but I've I found throughout my life that gaming has been a a great respite for my brain. I suffer from some some OCD tendencies, some really uh, attention deficit challenges. Uh, I have some I have some <laughs> some challenges. I find that gaming is a way for me to calm my 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 brain. The, mm. uh for me to escape some of my fidgetness and to really kind of relax. And so I've enjoyed it in that regard. I've also enjoyed it as a way to enjoy different types of narrative. I really enjoy Mm. narrative in gaming and, uh, I love puzzle solving, but I don't have the patience to sit down and do a Sudoku puzzle or a crossword and whatnot. But for some reason in a virtual space, I'm able to really focus and enjoy, uh, puzzle solving really. Um, so, that brings me to one of my first loves. Now, when we would go to my neighbor's house, Mrs. Dugan, uh we would watch her on her I wish I could remember what type of PC it was. It was an early early PC with with CGA graphics. This is before even VGA graphics. I think you had like a stunning 16 color gamut. Right. Not 16,000, 16. No, uh, I remember. Like your t- it was like a Tandy or a Commodore Commodore 64. I think it was a little bit past that. But anyway, she was big yeah. Yeah. on, I guess she had to be our age at the time, which is crazy. Maybe a little younger. But we would sneak in, and we would watch her play the original Sierra point-and-click adventure games. Oh, sure. Space Quest, Space King's Quest, Quest, King's Quest. Played all those. Leisure Suit Larry, which we weren't, she would be like, we wouldn't get it. We couldn't get the sexual humor at the time. We were very young. I'm talking, I was probably seven or eight years old. This is the early, right. 80s, mid-80s. And, but... We knew that we were not supposed to be seeing this, so we would watch it. We wouldn't get any of the humor. And then when she would go away, we would sneak on and try to crack the the password protection, which was really just they would ask you trivia questions. Like Right.
0: Wait, who, wait, wait, wait. So you snuck into her house? Like was she no, would, like no, no, on No, vacation, like me and, my friend, me and my friend
1: Chris, when she so she would sit there and play Sierra games and chain smoke, and <laughs> we would wait till she would be finished and go downstairs to do whatever, you know, she was it was you know, whatever she was doing. And we would jump on the computer to play games, but we would try to play Leader Shoot Larry, basically. Well, of course, yeah. So that translated into when I got my first computer, which was my first real, real computer. We had a Commodore 64, but when I got convinced my dad to buy me a Hewlett, not a Hewlett Packard, a Packard Bell. A Packard Bell with like a, a 1X CD-ROM drive, right? That was like uh, my first sure?
0: What was um, it? Was it, uh, was it like a 386 or 486? Something like that, yeah. And we had, yeah. you know,
1: it's all we had on the CD-ROM at that point was Encarta, the encyclopedia. Mm-hmm. There wasn't any games yet. Uh, yeah, and I would get I, the I floppy disk, so well. and I would play. I got into first a clade, which was, uh, it was a game called Less Manly, but then I was able to start getting uh, old versions of the floppy disk-based mm-hmm. LucasArts adventure games. That became my jam. So we're talking uh, Grim Fandango. We're talking uh, The Dig, different games. LucasArts was was obviously George Lucas's production company, but they opened a game division. They hired a lot of people from Sierra and a lot of things. And and these were uh, very high graphic, point-and-click adventure games. And one of the ones I fell in love with early on was called The Secret of Monkey Island. Now, this was uh, a game created uh, by LucasArts uh, with—I'm trying to remember, make sure I get it um, right—Ron Gilbert, Mm -hmm. Dave Grossman, and Tim Schafer. Tim Schafer, who would go on to do some great ones, Day of the Tentacle— Maniac Mansion, and some other really famous games, and he went on to form uh, what's the name of his He's he's got a, a game studio to this day, but regardless, this was the adventure of a pirate named Guy Brush Threepwood, who was a young dude trying to make his name as in the pirate world and what really stood out, aside from the graphics in these types of point and click adventure games was the humor and this was my first introduction to what Humorous writing, comedic writing, could bring to narrative storytelling mm. uh, because point-and-click adventure games. For any of those who played them, basically they're puzzle. They're puzzle boxes. You walk in, you need to do X, Y, Z. You collect a bunch of items by picking them up, and then you use items in various ways. Oh, we gotta pick this lock. Here's a we got a, a pencil. I'm gonna jam the pencil in the lock and try to pick it. That can get pretty tedious pretty quick. Especially when you start to use crazy logic, each individual game has its own sort of logic you have to figure out mm-hmm. what type of things. That can get tedious. Or very like bang your head against the wall hard because back in the day there was no internet. So what you did was you would, could buy a hint book for $30 that had a little red thing. It was all red and you put it over the, the little book all and you right. could read, read the hints. I couldn't afford that crap. I was lucky if I could get my parents to buy me the game in the first place. So I didn't get no hints. I had to figure it out. I had to solve the puzzle. And that could become very tedious until I discovered the LucasArts adventures. Uh, Also, Sam and Max hit the road. And they were so funny, laugh out loud funny. And I think it's because you ever play, sorry, I'm going to go around the block here. Do you ever play like uh, Cards Against Humanity Mm -hmm. or those Jackbox games with a group of people who don't have the same sense of humor as you? Oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. But, when you find that group of people who have the same sense of humor or the same wit, the same speed of wit, yeah, it's the best time you can have and Ron Gilbert and Tim Schafer and Monkey Island, if this was the first one, had my sense of humor, so ev- I clicked on everything even just even if it didn't have to do anything with the game, I would just click on a on a on an item just to hear the character or at this time, read what the character thought about right. that thing. And it was always funny, and I would laugh out loud. And I just remember spending hours at night uh, taking notes on what what types of things I should collect, on what puzzles I still needed to solve, because it wasn't a very robust uh, quest log at the time, right? That wasn't right. Uh, quite where we were.
0: It wasn't Red Dead 2 quite yet.
1: Yeah. So I remember that was the first adventure game I solved, was and then you get to the end of the game, and you realize you don't really discover what the secret of Monkey Island is. So that was in 1990, uh, the first one. So I was ten mm. ten years old, right? And that was me exploring that that universe. There there were three other games. There was Mon- uh, Monkey Island two. Uh, then there was it got rebooted, and that wasn't until. let me see if I can remember. Actually, Monkey Island two came out. In 91, so it was the next year. But I surely didn't play it the next year. I think I had to wait a little bit longer. Um, But I remember playing it, and then it kind of went away. And it wasn't until 97 where the next game, the third game in the series came out. And that was the first one on C-ROM. That's when I had my Packard Bell. Or at that point, I might have had a a Gateway 2000. That was my big.
0: Oh, those gateway machines.
1: Yeah, remember? Uh, And that's. That's one of the first times I had this nostalgic feeling because I was recapturing a feeling of innocence when I was 10, and now I'm 17 years old in high school playing, uh, it was the 1st cell cel-shaded version. Uh, so anyway, Keith, every time I've been able to revisit point-and-click adventure games, I've done so. As I've become an adult and I've built my own PCs or I've been on gigs or whatnot, I always try to see like what's new in the point-and-click adventure realm. And there are some people making cool games, uh, you know, retro-type games. Uh, Steam, which is kind of where you play PC games right now, is is the Wild West. Uh, nothing's curated well. It's hard to pick what's absolute junk from what's really good. It's just a minefield, and I don't have time to sort through all of that. So lo and behold, a, b- a couple months ago, uh, during one of these game conferences or these big, spectacular uh, what's coming up type events, E3 or whatnot, they shadow dropped an announcement that there was another entry in the Monkey Island series coming out. And it would be a point-and-click adventure game like the old ones with updated art, a revised sort of uh, relook at how adventure games could work. And because, you know, nowadays with the way we can do graphics and interaction, point-and-click adventure is very old school. But best of yet, Ron Gilbert was coming back to the series, because he after I think he did the first two games and then he was out, right? So everything's been a, just like the Halloween series, eh, you know, uh, it, other people take on the IP and they mm-hmm, mm-hmm. do their own explorations. So this is the first time Ron Gilbert was coming back. So about a month ago, it came out for Nintendo Switch and for PC. And I downloaded it. And I expected to spend maybe, you know, it was 20 bucks or whatever. I expected to spend, to spend maybe an hour with it, get the feeling, laugh, and then be done with it. And I have to say, I was totally wrong. Somehow they were able to nail it. And I have re-fallen in love with this game. You can see the art style is, they've revisited the art style. It's very uh, Ren and Stimpy, if you remember that show. Ren and Stimpy, sure, It's it's kind of really cool paintings, but every once in a while they will... Uh, you'll click an item and it'll do a hyper close-up of that item and it'll be all gross and sort of like hairs popping out of it, very Ren and Stimpy-esque. They've sort of revisited the uh, the way that the inventory system works. It's a very kind of painted, painterly look. And what's cool is that they're having it done as Guybrush has this young, uh, the main character from the original games, has this child now and he's recounting this last chapter of the story to his son. So, Follows its audience as they right. aged and it's kind of right. reframed the narrative from its original audience's perspective now. And it's got the same wit that I remember. Uh, everything is laugh out loud funny. It's, it's fully voice acted from Dominic Amato who's done the voice since they've added voice to the game. And the puzzles uh, – and what they've done is they've reframed how puzzles work. Basically, instead of having you pixel hunt – you know, to find the little thing you need. Everything is pretty right. much, uh, pretty much you're able to find right away. And they have a quest log for you. They've, they've done quality of life improvements as games do now. But what you can't teach and you can't, it all revolves around the writing. The writing is, is right. hilarious and the story is heartfelt and hilarious. And it takes the, uh, a 21st century look at people's respect for people's time. It doesn't belabor any Mm. points. It has a really unique hint system uh, so that you don't abuse it and you don't go to the internet for just to get a walkthrough. You have this, uh, they call her the the voodoo lady. And if you have a certain amount of times, you can go go to this enchanted book and it'll be like, hey, Keith, have you looked over there? And then if you're a little more annoyed, you can click it again up like, hey, Keith, have you looked under the pillow over there? It'll just hint right, you towards right. it, which is actually really clever and it keeps you from going to the internet. And but it doesn't, but none of the puzzles are too belabored. The game's not too belabored. It it revalues your time. It is like your I don't know, this is a weird analogy, but it's like your grandma who's passed away has 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 come back to visit for the day and has cooked all of her favorite foods mm. that you remember as a kid. And it's just like a, a tasting smorgasbord of all those feels and it still holds up. And the fact that you can go back to something and they were able to, and it, it helps if it's the original creator, right? I think that's that's the for special sure. sauce yeah. here. That you can go back to something and it, it doesn't let you down uh is is just so wonderful. I'm 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 savoring every moment. I'm I'm playing for like an hour and then I make myself stop so that I have some more to play the next day. And, you know, it's the way gaming should be now. It, it, it works on everything. I can play it on my laptop. I can play it on my PC. I can get it on the Switch if I want. So it's anywhere I want it to be. Uh, it's just a little slice of magic, and I can't recommend it high enough. Now, I have a huge affinity for the IP, so it's hard for me to say if you would love it if you've never played any of these games, What's great is that in the past couple of years, LucasArts has re-released many of the first games uh, with collector's editions that have updated graphics, but you can toggle on the old graphics if you want. So you can actually do A, a B. It's totally awesome, and they're really cheap on Steam bundles. You can get them all for like under 20 bucks. I absolutely cannot recommend this higher. If for some reason you weren't a point-and-click adventure person when you were a kid, if that wasn't your jam, I I highly recommend. But this is a great jumping-off point. And for those of you who haven't played the games, the opening sequence, instead of just being like previously on, what they do is there's a scrapbook and you open the scrapbook and you click on different pictures and then Guybrush here walks you through his memory and recollection of how he got certain things and why it's in the scrapbook, which is actually a callback to the original game setting you up for the current narrative. So point and click adventure games, uh, uh, twofold, I want to say... I'm back in on point and click adventure games. Uh, there's some others I'd, i talk about it another time. I've downloaded a few. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm back into this world. I just think it's such a, instead of doing the, the crossword, now I'm, I'm playing some games and I'm getting back into narratives. I, I particularly like the funny ones, but not necessarily curse of monkey Island, uh, return to monkey Island here. Uh, you can get it on Nintendo switch. You can get it on steam. I highly recommend just to play it for a little while. Uh, even if you've never played the games before, it's 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 incredibly well written. It's incredibly voice acted, and it's beautiful to look at. and, it, and it's a cool story. So uh, if you want to laugh, if you want a little bit of that feeling of the way games used to be, this is where I, I I think you should jump in.
0: Well, it's very interesting to to hear you talk about that. and it it makes me think about how video games had to diverge because of technology. When we started out with the point-and-click ones, like like you're talking about, because we didn't have the ability to do much graphically at all, mm-hmm. right? You couldn't do anything 3D. The graphics were very simple, very rudimentary. You had to write the games, not design the graphics and the fighting mechanisms and blah, 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 blah. And... I think what you're what you're talking, what you were responding to is the writing. It's the cleverness. You're you're in a book, you're in a whatever. Mm-hmm. And then once that Nintendo came out, right, there wasn't writing in games for a long, long time. It was, you know, you're playing Contra. It's it's jump, shoot, jump, shoot, monster. You have to flip over this and do that. It was it was much more visual, it was much more tactical. Um But today, I think we're In some ways, in the golden age of gaming, because you have those two things diverged and now have come back together where we have all of the graphics, all of the motion, all of the, you know, running around and pew pew with the story and narrative put back in it. Which is why, like, when you play Red Dead 2 or even a simpler game like Unravel, right, Mm -hmm. you're able to have beautiful storytelling and acting and cinematic stuff and the pew pew at the same time and we have something that has never really been in video games and that is emotion Mm. and I, i i never once felt anything playing my games for a long long time and now multiple games I'm playing, you know, with the narrative, the story, the only acting, the writing. I'm like, oh god, I'm feeling things, and what a great addition to gaming is more complex, better written storytelling, as well as the upgrade in the frame rate and the and the graphics and this that the other thing. Um, it's very interesting. I remember, uh, you know, point and clicks. I didn't do any of these because I think once the Nintendo came out, mm-hmm. right. I just went into that world. Um, but I do remember Space Quest and King's Quest, all the Sierra stuff. And I remember how desperately frustrating they were because th- there was no mouse even. So if you, you just need to like, and you had to type, like pick up rock, mm-hmm. use rock. But you if you typed in throw rock at monster, like, I don't know what that means. Use rock with... It, it, the. The code
1: you had to code it essentially. Well, and, and the thing so that Sierra Games did quite often, which was which was very frustrating, but it's how they padded length. Was they were very kill heavy. So if you if you if you made a wrong choice on a puzzle, you generally would die. Was, you need to
0: start over.
1: Yeah, Ugh. or unless especially if you weren't F F5-ing, which F F5 five was a hotkey for you to save. I mean, these weren't like aut- there was no auto save zero. No. So you had to oh remember my God. that as well. Well, so what Luke, the Lucas Films games did, the Lucas Arts games, was they started implementing non-death states. So you could fail a puzzle, but not uh, the. Oh, the other thing Sierra Games would do is if you didn't pick up an item seventeen hours ago, dead end. So you, it. you've continued, and now you can't pl- you can't finish the game, but they don't tell you that. Uh, right. So Lucas, the Lucas Arts games fixed a lot of that, and now they've they've honed it to a. They've just. Honed it to a perfection. This game, I haven't finished it yet, so hopefully it sticks to the ending. But even if it didn't, the journey has been such yeah. a joy. I really, I really, if if you get if you get a bug up your butt or there's a sale on Steam or whatnot, I really think it's under twenty bucks. This game is worth yeah. playing. It's it's that funny, you know, on its own without all the nostalgia feels.
0: And calibrating the difficulty of games is so important, and because you don't want them to be impossible, because then I'll give up. Mm-hmm but then there are other times where it's a you know like the the, the latest generation of tomb raider games mm-hmm. which i love i love them they're fun i've played them all multiple times but they're all a little easy yeah and and you can make it harder but only the combat and I don't really care about the combat as much as I do the running and climbing and sneaking and finding stuff um, on the Tomb Raider game.
1: So, Keith, I think anyway. you need to find yourself a used PlayStation Four and play the Uncharted sequence because imagine being Indiana Jones. That's what those games are. And you can get a cheap. That's what PS4. Tomb Raider is. <clears throat> yeah, but there's a whole another element you you haven't experienced yet as a new non- okay. PlayStation guy. All uh, right. Well, also, last yeah. thing I'll say for you specifically, Keith. Uh, and let me quote. The, let me say who it is because the score for all of the Monkey Island games is is a, such a banger. It's a Caribbean sort of vibe. The opening sequ- The opening theme. You should just YouTube. I'm not going to put it on our show so we don't get strike. But uh, it's it's this game is released by Devolver Digital by the way. And Terrible Toy Box. Um, oh man, who's who does the score? Oh, it's such, I'm so. Well, I apologize for not. Uh, I don't want to just. Ah, Michael Land. It's it's Google it. Give it a YouTube. It's it's a banger. Uh, so I highly so Mike and Deglio highly recommends Return to Monkey Island, uh, and point and click adventure games in general. If you have any great ones that you want to share with us, uh, you can send those to G- k and m geekly at gmail.com or uh, just YouTube comment here below. Yeah, what are some point What are what are what are some point and click adventure games you're digging on?
0: Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, I'm excited to talk about my retro talk segment, and I I teased it before, so it's it's not a uh, spoiler that I'm going to talk about the never ending story, Brad, uh, which I I was such a huge fan of when I was little. I mean, it, it's a couple of different things. A, it came out in 1984, so I was um, I don't think I saw it for a couple of years after that. Um, but my mother was a librarian, so. This was always a movie that she encouraged because it's so much about reading, Mm -hmm. and it's and it start obviously started as a book, um, but it's this if you haven't seen it before, absolutely go watch. I feel like if you're watching this, you've probably seen it before and you have some sort of a touchstone to it, Um, but it's this wild, crazy fantasy kids kids movie that's just done in a way that could never be done today. Right. It is way darker than any kids' movie would allow would be allowed to be. The production of it was crazy. It was shot in Germany.
1: Oh, I did it not know that.
0: By, yeah. It was it was the highest budget uh for a German produced film ever. And it was directed by Wolfgang Peterson, uh, who's a German director who Directed Enemy Mine, and then after this, he, and he uh, directed Outbreak, Air Force One, The Perfect Storm. Troy became a huge director, uh, but this was, I believe, his first English-language film. Um, and, you know, I, I think a lot of things resonated with this movie for, for me. Um, obviously, all the great fantasy elements, the, the effects, all of the practical fantasy effects are amazing. Um, Falcor, but, but really it's about this nerdy kid who this, the the framing device is it's like this nerdy kid in our world, reading the story of the never ending story, which is this great fantasy epic. But then he realizes that he, as the reader is a part of the story. And there's, there's this moment where it sort of breaks the fourth wall of his book, where he starts reading about himself as he's reading the book it's so cool it's it's very heady but also just exhilarating and mm. he's like and he's a nerdy kid who liked books and that was me right and he was a, and he was bullied and bullied in a way that was realistic right the bullies in this in this movie aren't like the nice disney bullies they're like real bullies mm-hmm. and and there's a there's a, an element of danger to it um that felt very real. And uh, you know, on some level, the, the element of danger was also there while filming. Uh and so there was there's some stuff that maybe shouldn't have happened. Um <coughs> the uh, Noah Hathaway who played Atreyu in it um he almost drowned in the uh in in the, the Swamp of Sadness sequence where we have that horrible scene with the horse which just, just we're all traumatized but, but he got caught in an elevator and got sucked down I did not and, know that actually. Yeah, he got caught in the elevator, and by the time they they saved him, he was unconscious, being underwater. Like it was real bad, and he also lost it almost lost an eye in the fight with the uh, with the Gmork. But uh, but look at those practical effects; these are just uh, incredible. And one of the few that I don't think Jim Henson did, <laughs> but these um, mixing in the practical miniatures with with real life stuff. It was unbelievably cool and looked amazing. So you know you have the turtle there, you have the rock biter, you had Falcor. Um, it's it's just an extraordinarily visual movie, and it's also incredibly emotional. I mean, I mentioned the the scene with the horse in the swamp of sadness, like uh I you could never film that today. you know, the horses were fine but I don't think it was a fun thing to shoot. It'll never happen again, but my God, the emotional experience of watching that horse, and the, oh my God, as a kid, it just
1: kills you. You know, what's kind of a, uh, a, a hall of shame type of situation is, is the, the, the pain of that is so viscerally real to me that I hadn't revisited this movie since I think I was 12 years old because what? I, that's what oh. I, I remember. Two things that scene and yeah, the banger soundtrack.
0: Well, of course, the uh, the never ending story song, which uh, of course is, I mean, it, it, you already hear it in your head. Ah, uh, so it's it's there. The that never was actually not story. Yeah. yeah, and that was um, actually not in the original German version of it. That was added for the American version, which Steven Spielberg helped to uh, edit. And and adapt for the American audiences. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, everything about this movie just sucked me in immediately. I was obsessed with this movie. I would watch – I feel like I, I'm due a watch of The NeverEnding Story
1: again. Yeah, as you're talking about I'm thinking, actually, this might be something I might do with uh, Jen's this weekend. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's just. Has it been uh, like 4K up rendered? I'm sure it has by now. I right? believe
0: so. Yeah, I, I believe there's a you can see a good version of it. There were there were a bunch of sequels um, of less quality as they move forward, but I I'd stay here with the original. Um, it's just, I mean, look at those, look at the practical effects here and the creature effects. I think it still holds up today.
1: Now, the premise, um, the basic premise is sort of – it has a – they did a, a very similar thing with Princess Bride, right? They About the story being read to a younger child and him sort of envisioning it in his, in his, in his head. But the difference here was that Atreyu becomes – not Atreyu. The kid kind of becomes part of the story, right? Bastion,
0: yeah. Bastion. Yeah, right? I, I mean it's – as he it's, – it's his magical book, right? And so at the end of the movie, he has to save the day by interacting with the story and there's and that so little they, the,
1: the symbol on the front has something to do with it I'm, the I'm,
0: symbol on the front yeah i mean at the end like he he has to believe that the story is real in order to save the characters in the story it's it's absolutely fascinating
1: everyone um, has their sort of seminal childhood kind of even before they remember remember Movie like, uh, Mm -hmm. I know Jen's is Willow, Willow. Sure, uh, you've got your the dark crystals of the world, you've got the last unicorns of the world. And what one of the unifying themes of many of these films is that they're all a little probably too dark, yeah. Uh, But there's that moment in time where you know, when you're young, it's all kid shows and it's all innocence, right? They don't really want the darkness to enter, that's not something you're really prepared to handle emotionally just yet. But then there's that there's the junction period between the two between and and that's when these they stick with you you know when Bambi's mom kicks it yes yeah. your sure. brain's Old like yeller,
0: you got a lot of those yeah right? and
1: your brain's trying to realize like oh can that happen in real and and, and you're starting to become a, a a a real person right and that's why that well, pain is so deep and remember rememberable and,
0: and I I I wonder and I don't really know the answer to this but I would imagine it's probably I think I know where I'd come down. Kids raised like us. We're '80s kids, mm-hmm. right? '80s kids were raised on Neverending Story, Dark Crystal, Old Yeller. You know, you have these 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 very adult feelings, full stakes feelings in your movies that were just darker. What kind of influence that had on us culturally? Do '80s kids just walk around in the world a little differently because they were? they saw these things earlier. I don't I don't really know, but I don't think I don't think it was harmful. Mm-hmm. I, I think in a lot of ways cuz you know what's happening in these. You're learning stakes and empathy. Right? And that and to you know that, that things are real, mm-hmm. that it's you know it's it's not all just going to be magically fixed. Um, you know, like a Disney movie,
1: yeah, or a rollicking good time, like uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Secret of the Ooze, Keith.
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know how you can improve on that. Uh, that, that's the uh, the vanilla ice one, right? Yes, it is. Go Turtles,
1: Go Ninja, Go Ninja, Go, Go
0: Ninja, Go Ninja, Go, yeah. Well, and they
1: form these core memories, right? These these core memories, yeah. uh, that are deep. It, it's funny, I only bring that one up, the, the Turtles movie, because that in my core memory of that is being at a movie theater, it's its sheer embarrassment mm. because my grandmother pulled an attendant aside and asked him to turn it down. <laughs> ah! And for some reason, that embarrassed me to a point where it's a core memory. It sticks with she, me.
0: <laughs> it's a core memory. But yeah, you never know what's going to stick stick yeah. with you. And uh, and I I didn't see NeverEnding Story in the theaters. Obviously, I was only four. Um, but I'm curious. I know that I did see NeverEnding Story 2 in the theaters which came out in uh, 1990 uh when when in 1990 i'm curious whether I'd, i i saw it i think it was on my birthday that i saw it um, but uh yeah speaking of sad transitions the <laughs> star jonathan Brandis was the uh was the lead in it um anyway so uh yeah i if you haven't seen it, if by some chance you haven't seen it, uh, whether seen you're it an recently. adult or a kid, or seen it recently, I'm gonna, I think I might just watch it tonight. I think that might, I think I might have solidified what my evening is going to be. So, Never Ending Story, 1984, um, just really incredible stuff. Just close your eyes through the swamp of sadness, because uh, you will be swamped in your sadness. But yeah. uh, anyway, check it out, Never Ending Story, my retro fave.
1: So let us know in the comments what your core movie memories are. Uh, and speaking of core, Keith, uh, mm. things, people that are core to the very existence of our empire are our patrons. Who are we thanking this week?
0: Well, I'll tell you, we are thanking Brian Kaufman, Casey Clark, CloudLover69, Jason Moe, Jorge Navoa, and the mysterious, the mysterious Anne, Worf's Boot Shivs. Alan Zimmerman, CRM Productions, Charles Babbage, and at Grim Toys. And you can find all of them. You can join them at patreon.com slash K and M. Spell out that and. And you can get all sorts of fun bonus materials, bonus episodes of us watching stuff and uh, Mike watching Deep Space Nine all by his lonesome as well as AMAs. If you ever want to ask us any questions,
1: we will answer no matter what you ask. And if for some reason you found this video through the algorithm and you've, uh, you're have you not familiar with Keith and I, and you're not completely disgusted, well, which you have every right to be, uh, go ahead and subscribe to the channel. We do some other content that you might like, uh, and give us a like, give us a uh, notification bell. Th- I don't know. Click everything you can possibly click. That would be Click all the, the buttons. Yeah, tell friend, The buttons are helpful to yada, us. Yada, yada, yada. So, We want to talk about some things that we've been geeking out on. Uh, This week and in recent weeks, uh, as I mentioned, Keith and I are both uh, living that solo life right now. We're home alone. And so a lot of time on our hands to fill up So we're going to tell you about some of the things we're watching. (laughs) So so my idea here was, since we tend to to ramble on, was I'm going to- uh, we're going to talk about things we've been geeking out on, but I'm going to put a timer up on the screen, Keith. It's going to be 90 Ooh, okay. seconds. You can go less than 90 seconds, but at 90 seconds, it's a hard out. you got to wrap it's it up. It's a hard out. Okay. Are
0: we uh, going to go back, 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 that back? Goes,
1: I think we should go back and yeah, forth. I like it. Uh, I like it. Which is going to be very difficult because I have to uh, There's a lot of buttons to press, but I'm going to Sounds gonna, like I'm your gonna, problem. I'm going to do So I'll go first. Okay. Okay. And I would like to talk about a new book I've been reading. Hold on. Let me pull up my stuff. By Stephen King. It's called Tale. And I'm going to start my timer right now. So Keith, both you and I are fans of Stephen King. Uh, this newest book, re- but sometimes uh, it's it's hard for people to get invested because there's a huge cast of characters, uh, but here it's less so. Here you get introduced to this, this kid, Charlie, uh, through some machinations of the plot. He meets Mr. Bodich, who has an awesome German shepherd named Radar. Okay, so we spend the first quarter of the book just getting to know Uh, Charlie falling in love with this dog. Anybody who's had a pet or has had a dog, you know how they can capture your heart. And Mr. Bodich and and Radar lead Charlie down a path to a very Kingian, discovering, Keith, gold. But gold, clearly, that is there's too much gold and it's how did we get the gold and where did the gold come from? And so in... In a very Kingian fashion, we are led into a different world, a different universe, with all kinds of creatures and monsters and it, excitement. So this is—it's got a horror twist, but it's very much also a fable-slash-dark-fairy-tale-esque type tale on the second half of the book. I am loving it. I am riveted. And I highly suggest you pick up the audiobook, like I did, read by Seth—Nurich, I think his name is? Numrich. Uh, it's an incredible performance, uh, so you can listen to it on a drive or not on a whatnot. So, highly recommend Stephen King's fa- fairy Tale.
0: <laughs> All right, so I think when appropriate, we are we should the other person should be allowed one question. Okay, I think that's great about the topic. Mm-hmm. And my one question about is this in the same world as "The Eyes of the Dragon," which is another Stephen King
1: fantasy book in that world? Uh, not directly as into my knowledge. Now, as you may know, all of Stephen King's works are sort of within the Dark Tower metaverse, and this is firmly planted in the Dark Tower metaverse, uh, but I don't think it's directly linked to that novel. Is okay. My, that, that is my understanding thus far.
0: Okay, all right. So you got me on the clock. So my first one is Ms. Marvel. On Disney Plus, uh, which I I know I'm a little bit late. Uh, it's been out for a couple of months now, um, but I've actually found this series to be delightful. Yeah. It's sort of de- designed for kids, and I know it's been taking a lot of heat. But one of the reasons it takes a lot of heat is because people are uh, you know uh, bigoted, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right, re- you know e- exactly the- because it is a uh, about a a Muslim teenager in Jersey City who uh, is a big fan of the Marvel heroes and dis- and discovers that, hey, guess what? She has superpowers herself. And, um, you know, the effects aren't great and the storytelling, you know, is a little kiddish, but it's designed for that. Um, but I think I- I- Iman Valana as Kamala Khan is delightful and super fun. And I think as somebody who's lived in a primarily Muslim neighborhood for many years, this is a community and people that look much more like the actual people that I know than what we're used to seeing uh, as represented on film and television. And so am I in that community? Of course. No, I'm not. However, I do think uh, I really appreciated a window into this world that we don't normally get. Um, And, uh, you know, I'm sure there are inaccuracies and things that aren't uh, natural, but I was like, this feels much more like what I know.
1: The timer is great, actually. I'm glad it wasn't 60 seconds. <laughs> My one question to you was I watched the pilot here and really enjoyed yeah. it. I'm definitely gonna jump back in. Does it attempt to tie it to the greater Marvel universe or is it a pretty standalone story? Uh no, it is
0: definitely going to merge with the Marvel universe. Include in, actually the uh, the next Captain Marvel movie is going to include Kamala Khan. Oh, great. So uh no, it definitely becomes more a part of the Marvel – I mean, it, it is a standalone story but it is definitely a part of the Marvel Universe.
1: All right, so let's go to the world of music. I wanna talk to you about an album I've been listening to by The Beths. Keith, I found this because I love gear, I love recording and different like just analog stuff, and so I came upon a YouTube video called Show Us Your Junk, which is about, it follows people going through their recording studio and showing them a bunch of stuff. I found this guy, Jonathan Pierce. And he's got this cool recording studio, he's from New Zealand, and he was talking about this awesome thing where New Zealand actually funds their artists. You can apply for grants, and if your music is good enough or they think it has potential, they give you money to like record singles and videos. and. Communism. That led this guy, Jonathan Pierce, to hook up with his uh, collaborator, Elizabeth Stokes. They started a band called The Betts. Uh New Zealand actually, hey, Charlie, New Zealand actually funded their recording and their first album and their first tour, and... Who knew it they released three albums? I got their latest album through finding this YouTube video and I absolutely love it. It's a rock album uh but it's got great really clever lyrics, some cool really a wash in excellent harmonies. Uh the production is tight, it's excellent. It uses a lot of creative stuff, but it's definitely all recorded with musicians in a room. Uh it's not trying to be anything more than it is. It's just a straight up rock and roll album with really clever albums and I'm just I'm just sort of obsessed with, news, uh, with New Zealand people, the Kiwis. I've met a bunch of them on various cruises. A lot of fun, really down to earth. And that's what this record feels like. It's So if you even remotely like like rock music and guitar riffs, check this out. I'm going to play less than 30 seconds so that we're not struck. But I want you guys to hear it uh, just to get a vibe to see if it's something you a might like. A 30
0: second thing is an utter... It's not real? It's not
1: real. Well, let's, That's an old wives' tale. Let's see what we think. I wish that I could freeze time, go to the wild, look at the quiet till I'm dripping rid of it. Then I would drive home, go to my room, bring myself out, that would be the end of it. Instead, it's white noise, sufferingly loud, it's wearing me down, I'm up to my ethernet. Really cool album, it's The Beths. You can find it on all of your streaming music platforms. Check it out.
0: Very cool all right so uh my next geek out is uh, what I've been listening to but it's not musical at all it's just people talking and that is the 538 politics podcast mm. um, now of course I'm a big uh, politics nerd uh, where's where's my clock buddy oh, go. i am a i'm a big political nerd and we don't talk about that a lot you obviously know where i stand but what i really like about the 538 politics podcast is they're they're not there necessarily to to talk as much about the politics but the numbers behind the politics um obviously a lot of it is about polling and and so forth but it's also uh you know demographic changes you know migration within the country and it's told done by very, very smart people. Obviously, Nate Silver is the guy who owns and runs 538 Politics Podcast. But my favorite sub-podcast of the 538 Politics Podcast is Model Talk. And Nate Silver and the team create their sort of prognostication model for all of the elections coming up. And we're about to hit the midterms, make sure you vote. Um, But he and Galen Druk... do a super nerdy deep dives into the analytics creating uh, these models. And they have different versions of the models and how how they talk about the polls that they're getting, how they're rating the pollsters, how the, the, the methodology behind all the information and how you shade this way and that versus... Historical information versus the new poll that comes up versus the quality of the poll versus other factors versus regression to the mean versus the political trends over time. It's really, really fascinating if you like math and politics.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like uh, Nate Silver has, because of a lot of his uh, sort of like clear cut observations about the numbers, often gets demonized about his political stances where he doesn't really come down either way he tries mm-hmm. not at least it's he's really about the numbers and uh, i think that's interesting
0: he's he's all he cares about is the math yeah you know for this for this standpoint and getting the math as accurate as it is it has nothing to do with anybody's politics it has to do with how to accurately crunch the data and it's fascinating i love it
1: all right so next i want to talk about uh, guys, I bought this awesome iPad about two years ago, and I have not been using it a lot. So what I decided to do is jump back into comics uh, as I've been alone. And since it's spooky season, uh, someone turned me on to this anthology horror comic series called Ice Cream Man. This is written by Maxwell Prince and drawn by Martin Morazzo. Uh, right now, there are, I think there are twenty-four issues. They are standalone issues. There's a meta story about this ice cream man, who's not really an ice cream man. He's sort of like a crypt keeper, but much more horrific. Uh, it's got a tales, uh, it's got a uh, uh, American horror story vibe, a tales from the crypt vibe. It's 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 spooky, it's scary, it's gory, it's incredibly well drawn. The stories are really interesting. There is a meta story about this character and like this sort of very gunslinger esque uh, man in black. Character who's chasing him down. Uh, regardless, I love it because you don't you can jump in anywhere, but there's only 24 uh, issues. You can get them on Amazon. We'll link them below. It's awesome. I'm so excited to be back into comics. My big thing about comics is it's hard to find a jumping in point, and so I'm really liking standalone stories. So I'm asking all of you out there, could you hit us up in the comments? What are some standalone comic stories or new things happening in comics? This is by Image Comics, by the way. Uh, that you could recommend to me because I'm loving reading comics on my iPad right now. Uh, recommendations. Keith, I don't, know you, I don't know if you're a comic by You need to read this. This has got okay. Keith Varney written all over it.
0: So I, I, you might have said, but um, the Ice Cream Man, the protagonist of, is he a good guy or a bad oh, guy? Oh, no,
1: he's, an anti- he's not a protagonist. He's telling the stories, but he's very much an antagonist and he is uh, murdering the shit out of people.
0: Okay. All right. I like it. It's dark. All right, so uh, my next thing that I'm geeking out about is technology-based, and that is the advances in virtual medical care. And uh, now, obviously, anything virtual—it's you know this is not designed to replace going and seeing your doctor in real life or dealing with big specialists and and the real stuff like that. However, uh, I have in myself recently and helped a friend uh, just need to get some antibiotics. You know, I had a tick bite or just something really stupid at 11 o'clock at night on a Friday night. And, uh, we, we have, uh, we, we use the exchange health insurance, but we're able to like get online in 10 minutes, talk to a doctor face to face, get the prescription and go get it. And for all of $15 to go and it's, it's simple, it's easy. It happens 24 hours a day. It's right there. It is not comprehensive. It's for like the real basic stuff. But I've done that with myself, with my friends, with Charlie, with my, with, with Charlie, my cat was able to do a virtual uh, vet visit that way. It's so cheap. Now I understand like it's tough for the little, like there are some downsides to this for sure. Um, but I think it was, it's really helpful when there's not, you know, you don't want to spend thousands of dollars going to an emergency room or you may not have access to a a, a clinic that's 24 hours, this 15 bucks in and out in an hour. Uh, and you just go pick it up. And that was really, really helpful. And later I'll talk about virtual therapy, but uh, really cool.
1: Okay. Uh, next, I'm going to let me pull up my thing. Next, I want to talk about Players on Paramount Plus. I don't know if you've heard about it. I don't even know if you subscribe to Paramount Plus. But Players is a mockumentary uh, show created by Dan Peralt and Tony Yacenda, who also create, who also did American Vandal, which you might have seen, which was a mockumentary about uh, somebody drawing penises all over our school, which oh, is right on Netflix. So yeah. much funnier and insightful and then it has any right to desert, any any right to be. And this show is exactly that. It's about a uh, a fictional League of Legends esports team. Uh shot mockumentary style about an old vet and the upcoming newcomer teenager and how they have to work together to win their first league championship. I know nothing about esports. Uh little really not a lot of interest even though I'm into gaming. I just don't understand it. This doesn't talk down to it. It doesn't make fun of it. It uses all the proper language. I've talked to people who have, it's in on the lingo, but you don't need to know it to follow the story. It's compelling. It's hysterical. The performances are amazing. This show should be terrible, but it is really good. Uh, is it worth subscribing to Paramount Plus? No, but there are plenty other reasons to subscribe to Paramount Plus or get a free trial or to just watch with ads. Guys, players Out of nowhere. Thank God someone recommended it to me. So now I'm recommending it to you. Check it out. At least the first two or three episodes. They're short. They're not even half an hour. Uh, Really cool show. Well, I have a show as well to talk about that.
0: And that is from the creators of Dark Side of the Ring. uh, About the dark side of professional wrestling. There's a new spinoff called Tales from the Territories. Um, it's, It's produced by The Rock. And, um... And The Dark Side of the Ring, folks, it's a sort of documentary about 70s and 80s wrestling before the WWF took it over. And one episode pat- uh, particular I thought was really fascinating, and that is an episode about Jerry Lawler wrestling Andy Kaufman. Mm. And Andy Kaufman was a, was a huge star back in the early 80s. He died very young, um, but he was sort of an experimental comedian. He was on Taxi. And what he did is he decided to uh become a wrestling heel playing himself and went out one and all these things wrestling women trying to get heat and had a legendary battle series of battles with jerry lawler who you might recognize as the commentator from the wwe um, a lot of this you can see in man on the moon the movie um that they came out with <clears throat> but it's Really fascinating to now hear the story from Jerry Lawler's point of view and realizing how much of it was a work. We thought it, meaning fake, we all thought it was sort of real. But Eddie Kaufman's entire career seems like he wanted to be a wrestling heel. And he was that as an actor, as a comedian, and then got a chance to live his dream actually in wrestling. It's fascinating. Check it out. Man of the Moon is a good movie. There's also a good documentary about the making of Man of the Moon with Jim Carrey basically becoming Andy Cobb. Is this shot documentary style? Like, do we get
1: interviews and POV and stuff like that?
0: Yeah, it's it's shot as a documentary. So okay. it's it's, you know, basically interspersing the original footage with interviews with Jerry Lawler and Jeff Jarrett and a lot of the folks who were there at the time.
1: So the last thing, Keith, I'll talk about this week is, uh, and before I even start, I want to recognize my privilege. I'm very privileged to have a good job and to uh, have um, expendable income and whatnot. Just want to point that out there. Uh, Now I'll begin. Uh, So my dad, one of the things he said in this weird piece of advice, but he says, always have a good pen. Uh, I found this uh, hmm. recently. This is a pen he was given. It says the Garden State Brickface and Stucco. That was one of the places he worked for as a salesman. $100,000 monthly sales club, and they give him a goddamn pen. <laughs> uh, and so what I did is I did a lot of research, obsessive research about different design firms, and I came up with the Studio Neat. Uh, that's my actual pen. It's called the Mark I. It is a retractable pen. It's all metal. It's uh, coated in this uh, ceramic um, kind of paint. It's it's it, all one design. It's all one piece of unibody metal. Uh, it is incredibly satisfying. Uh, it's got this rollerball ink. I'm trying to think of what the, the ink is called. Here you go. Um, it's the Schmidt P8126 Rollerball. It's very it's very inky. It's very rolly. It's not messy. Um, it is just a wonderful pen. And if you listen... It's got a really satisfying click. I am loving this pen. It is not cheap. It comes in a uh, cork kind of holder. Uh, it's very environmentally safe. It's a design firm that designed it, so you can tell you're t- you're paying a premium. I think I paid seventy dollars for this pen. Um, but it is really satisfying. I have it on my desk. I use it for all of the important things. Something about sitting down and, and writing in a journal. I like. Though I love my technology, I love to write uh, and keep keep my notes in ink. So uh you know when you get yourself uh when when you're feeling it I, I highly suggest getting yourself a good pen and if you're in the market for one really appreciate the Studio Neat pen. We are not in any way uh, by the way supported. <laughs> this is not an advertisement. It's just my. But you my should pen. be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh wow. See here's my my question to you is how
0: the hell do you not lose your pens? I this need about This doesn't this doesn't leave my pens. office. This doesn't leave the office. I I I'd have nowhere near that type of discipline. All right. Spend
1: so, $70 on a pen, Keith.
0: You won't lose it. No, I will definitely lose it. All right. So the last thing I want to talk about um, is uh, I, I've talked a little bit today about how I do a lot of music production. I do a lot of music writing and arranging and recording and mixing and this, out the other thing. And uh, until recently, all of my demos and stuff have sounded pretty good, right? But not quite finished, not mm. quite um, completed. in, And that because I had no idea how to master effectively. And uh, just recently, I or about two years ago, that's recent for me, um, discovered a thing called eMastered. And what that is, is an online AI mastering software, which you upload your file, it uses AI to master it, and you just download it right away. And the whole thing, it takes... 90 seconds, two minutes to go through the entire mastering process. Now, is this going to be perfect? Is it going to be, you know, you're going to want to release this nationwide? Well, maybe, but probably not. But for what I do to just do some quick and dirty, clean it up, make sure, you know, get things as balanced as they can be, get them normalized. I think it does a very good job. It's not super cheap. It's about 150 bucks a year for the subscription to do it. But I use it almost every day. And uh, I think it's it's really quick. It's really simple. It's pretty pretty well designed. And the mastering, I think, and I'm not an expert, is pretty darn good. So emaster.com, if you're curious. They also do not sponsor us, but please do.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, we often talk about AI in the kind of scary, antagonistic, evil corporation type of way. Uh, yeah. But if you Google, do a quick Google on some of the incredible things AI can help with nowadays, like, all the photoshopping, all of the sort of quick things that used to take rotoscoping. I, I use DaVinci Resolve as an editing program, and it used to t- to rotoscope something out. Used to take hours upon hours, and now they can do it in the, with with a snap. In fact, if you see some of these image creations where you just type oh, in sort of like a random term and it creates this, it's Good it's time. pretty awesome. If we could just if we vote, like he said earlier, and get people into office who, uh. Help foster a, a general sense of community where this AI stuff can help us, uh, rather than kind of tear us down and create deep fakes. I think and, we, and not terminator us. Yeah, we could be in a good in a good place.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's uh, well, I mean, you know, so much of the show is about how technology is able to make our life better, right? And you know, some it, a lot of it is sort of in silly art ways and in, and in Marvel movies, this other thing, but also just my life. What I do for my everyday life is so vastly improved with good tech in the last 10, 15 years. Like yep. There's no question. And uh, it's good fun. So do you have uh, things that – wait, hold on. I'm hosting. Mike, you're hosting.
1: Yeah, what are you guys using? What makes your life easier? What shortcuts? What AI? Which tech are you using? Let us know. That's what we want this show to be about. Share some of your stuff. We'll share some of our stuff. If you'd like to share with us on Twitter – uh, let us know. Hashtag K&M Geekly. Let us know what you've been watching. Let us know about what you've been reading, listening to, geeking out on. Uh, I will check that and we'll uh, feature it I on was the show. I say, I hope
0: you're checking that. I am. I am. Well,
1: I'll feature it on the show or let us know inside the comments. What did I say last week? I said, keep it geekly. <laughs> I think something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, keep on geeking out and we'll see you next week. Thanks for checking out.